Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our shepherd, that in you we shall not want. Father, we pray as we come to this blessed time of hearing your word read and preached. Father, we pray that you would lead us to the green pastures, that you would lead us to the still waters, that we would find restoration, we would find peace, that your rod and staff would guide and correct us where we need to be challenged, where you are putting your finger on our life. Father, we thank you for your care over us and providing your word as a tool to do that. Father, we pray as the word is read that our hearts would be open and receptive. We pray for Duncan that you would give him courage and strength. And Father, may your spirit speak through him into our lives that we would leave this place moved. Father, that we would walk out of this room with a sense of your presence in our life that would shape our actions and our words and give us boldness to tell others about it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. 
What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Wow. Thank you, Bruce. Um, How good is Acts uh, that we're going through? Um, a great chapter to get into today, but I, re- I wonder if you remember this scene from about, uh, it was about a year ago, anyone remember this? It was a Melbourne pastor named Guy Mason being interviewed by Koshi on Sunrise. Is this ringing any bells? Anyone see this? Uh, I say being interviewed, but it was more of a kind of ruthless grilling, you know, a pastor on toast for breakfast um, was the kind of vibe. Uh, You may not have uh, picked it up, but it all came about because one of the members of Mason's church, uh, a guy called Andrew Thorburn, had just been appointed CEO of Essendon Football Club. Anyone remember this? It it might have passed you by, but it was big news about a year ago. He was really qualified for the role, but he lasted less than a day uh, in this role. Uh, He resigned after a huge amount of pressure was placed on him through social media. And the reason was, not because he wasn't qualified, actually it wasn't because of anything he had ever said or done. Uh, It was simply because he was an active member of this church 
who happen to believe what the Bible teaches, particularly in the area of sex and relationships. Wow, so it's kind of, you know, that was a big kind of moment there. Um, Now, we're not being persecuted for our faith in Australia like so many other parts of the world. We can gather here freely without fear. But this was just kind of one high-profile moment, I think revealing a a pretty major shift in our society, right? Uh, In the last generation or two, Christians in Western societies like ours have gone from being the good guys to suddenly being the bad guys in the eyes of many. And I wonder how you respond to that. Um, one option is just to ignore it, um, sort of just not, not think about it at all. Another option is to kind of fight back using the same tactics in the same kind of manner and same kind of way. Many of us, many Christians, I think, are just a bit quietly anxious. You're worried for what it might mean for maybe your job or your relationship with family and friends if you spoke about Jesus uh, and your faith in him. Uh, Or not even that, if it's not even about sort of being proactive in speaking, but even if you're asked to do something that you know is wrong in God's sight and politely and graciously decline to participate in that. Say, I I can't do what you're asking me to do uh, because of my allegiances to Jesus. Um, Maybe there's a kind of quiet anxiety in you about the implications of doing that. Well, friends, this passage in in Acts 4 is going to really help us navigate this, uh, all of this. We've been looking, haven't we, at the unstoppable Acts of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kind of big banner over, over this book. The unstoppable acts of the risen Lord. And we're going to see is in this chapter that one of those unstoppable acts of Jesus, the risen King, is to give his people boldness, courage, even in the face of opposition. Not an ugly brashness, but a quiet and beautiful confidence to proclaim our risen Lord, a confidence that is given by his spirit, that is learned from being with him, that's made clear through the gospel and that we ask for in prayer. That's what we're going to see as we uh, get into this passage. So let's dive in. We're going to pick up where we finished last week. Uh, We saw last week God had performed this undeniable miracle Um, through Peter and John. Um, This man who was lame from birth was miraculously restored. His wasted legs were strengthened and knit back together in an instance. Um, We found out in the reading that he'd been that way for 40 years. And Peter and John used this miracle, this amazing thing that God had done. They use it to talk about Jesus and to proclaim the risen Lord. So while they're speaking... Uh, While they're doing that, and uh, as we looked at last week, they're they're talking to the people about Jesus. In verse 1 of chapter 4, we read, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees come up to Peter and John. Now, that's a bit of a development in Acts. Up to now, the apostles have been speaking to crowds who'd been gathering and talking to them. But now, the rulers come on the scene. The powerful ones appear. See, it's one thing to talk to a receptive crowd. It's another entirely to be dragged before a hostile panel of powerful people. 
And these guys who come to check them out, they don't like it. So verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So, but what was it that, about proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead? What was it about that that made these guys so disturbed? Um, the Sadducees, you read about, they were a powerful religious party. They kind of dominated the leadership of the temple. And one feature of the Sadducees was that, was that they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to get it in there. Oh, I wasn't sure. I went off script. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, let's regather, move on. So the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Uh, so there's this theological difference going on. There's these guys proclaiming Jesus did rise and in him is the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees were opposed to that. But there's much more going on here than just kind of an abstract theological debate. Uh, and you can kind of get the hint of that by the heat of what um, the apostles face. It's not just kind of some back and forth debate about theological ideas. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, if in him the resurrection of the dead had begun, then there were all kinds of massive implications. It meant, as Peter has been preaching, that Jesus is Israel's Messiah and Lord who brings in the last days. It meant, as we saw last week, he is the one who fulfills the hopes and promises of Israel's scriptures. He is the way we come to God now. And the, the implication of that is the temple and its leaders are, are not the way we come to God now. They're brought to an end because they're fulfilled in Jesus. Now the way to God isn't through a temple building, which was always a temporary shadow of a greater reality, but through the temple person, the one who is God with us. Now the fire of God's presence is not restricted to the Holy of Holies, but the Holy Spirit is given to every person who comes to Jesus and is united to him by faith. And so you can see why, right? You can see why this message was so troubling to the ruling elite of Jerusalem. It's not just a kind of abstract discussion. It was a threat to their authority and their power. So verse 3, they seize Peter and John. It's late in the day, so they, they chuck them in jail until the next day. But don't you love verse 4? Um, it sort of, it's just this little reminder that Jesus is still constantly at work through all of this, even, even through this sort of them being thrown in jail. Many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So we started with 120, then it was 3,120, and then... Someone do the maths. 1,880 more here. Gets up to 5,000. Sorry. Um, but the point is, it's a lot of people, right? Um, so they're rounded numbers, so don't get too carried away with the maths. But Peter and John are in prison for speaking about Jesus. And then in verse 5, the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. 
Uh, Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. Uh, We know from other parts of the Bible, Annas was uh, an old man at this time, and by this time he was retired. He was kind of like the high priest emeritus, and his son-in-law Caiaphas, who you read of there, he was the kind of official high priest. But the big point of this is, these are the heavies, okay? This is like the heavies coming um, to, to judge what's happening here. They're heavyweights. They're powerful names, the names of these guys. Uh, They're names that make stuff happen. They are names that bring fear because of what they can do. But, of course, Peter and John know another name that is so far above theirs. So, um, verse 7, they ask Peter and John, by what power or what name did you do this? And with this just incredible calmness and boldness, Peter replies in verse 8, Rulers and elders of the people, if we have been called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Wow. What a response. Um, Which name... Did you do this by what power or what name? Well, there's only one name. Uh, And and not only is Jesus the one who did this healing, uh, this one miracle is like another proof that he is God's risen king, the one that just a couple of months earlier this crowd had crucified. And there is only... He is therefore the only place where salvation is found. Now, I just want to reflect on what this passage shows us. It's an incredible boldness, right, in the face of the heavyweights of heavyweights of the time coming and sort of grilling Peter and John. They respond in this way. I just want to reflect for a little bit about where they get their boldness from. Because remember, remember Peter... Like just a few weeks earlier, he was the one who denied he knew Jesus three times. And not because he was dragged before the heavyweights. He denied it to a a servant girl around the fire. Remember that story? He was terrified just weeks earlier. So what has happened? What has happened to bring about this incredible transformation in Peter? Well, the first thing to notice is that this boldness is not something that Peter had to work himself up to. It's not like he heard in prison, okay, they're going to be shown before these guys. So he says, okay, he looks in the mirror, if there was mirrors, and he slaps himself in the face a little bit and says, right, it's time to man up. You know, kind of just get with it. Work it up within yourself. That's not what's going on. This wasn't a boldness that came from within himself. It was a gift of God's spirit. That's the first thing to notice here. That's why back in verse 8, we, so I sort of jumped over this, but really important, isn't it? That before Peter speaks, we're told, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Um, and not just Peter. At the end of the passage in verse 31, skip over to there, all the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. See, boldness for Jesus isn't something that comes naturally to anyone. It's something that God works in us. It's his gift to us. But what is this about being filled with the spirits? Um, I don't think it's saying that Peter or these believers didn't already have the spirit, or it's kind of like there's a spirit petrol tank within us that sort of needs topping up all the time. No, every believer in Jesus has the spirit of God, the full spirit of God. There's no kind of extra stage in receiving a bit more of him. So this isn't sort of having him, losing him, getting him back again, or having a little bit of him and getting a bit more. I don't think that's actually what's going on here. What is it? What is going on? Well, in other places in the New Testament, when we're told not to quench the Spirit, not to grieve him. We're told we need to keep in step with him. There's something about seeing what he is doing in my life and saying, I won't resist that. I'll go with you. And in Acts particularly, there's much more to say about this, but in Acts particularly, this when people are filled with the Spirit, it seems to be a special empowering for, from God to do a particular hard task or a particular job. And especially in Acts, that job is speaking to people about Jesus. When people are filled with the Spirit in Acts, the kind of characteristic thing they do is speak about Jesus with boldness. That's what this sort of being filled with the Spirit does for them, enables them to do. So when we are not grieving or quenching the Spirit, when we ask him to fill us, to more and more change us, to open locked doors in our hearts to his transforming work, one of the main ways that we'll know that that's happening is that we'll be more courageous for Jesus. We'll be more bold for him. So this boldness, the first thing that you learn here is that this boldness is a gift of the Spirit. But there's, there's more in here, right? It's also something that's learned from Jesus. Did you pick that up? I, this is just a, a beautiful verse, I think. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they didn't have any theological degrees, they weren't special people, they were just bog-standard, everyday people, when, when they realised this, these rulers were astonished. And, they, and what, what happened? What did they do? They took notes that these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. They saw Jesus in them. It was kind of so obvious that they'd been hanging out with Jesus. And, and then look down to verse 20, what they say. They say, as for us, this is Peter and John, as for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. They had seen the risen Jesus, really. They'd seen him risen from the dead. They'd spent time with him. They'd heard him. 
They had been taught by him. And all that they're doing is witnessing to him, just like Jesus said they would back in chapter 1. And I just think this is so helpful for us, friends. It's, it's where we'll be saved from errors when we're thinking about boldness. And we had some helpful kind of um, input on that earlier. But being bold for Jesus doesn't mean being ar- be arrogant. It really doesn't. It doesn't mean be brash. It doesn't mean unnecessarily seeking out controversy or confrontation. It's not something that extroverts or people who like to talk have a leg up on or introverts and, or shy people are at a disadvantage in. It really isn't. That's not like we can have wrong ideas about what boldness for Jesus means. What does it mean? It means learning from Jesus, who was at the same time full of both grace and truth, Um, who was the most loving, compassionate person who ever existed and at the same time the most resolute and unwavering in standing for God's truth. So there's, how, how do you grow in gospel boldness? Well, you know that it's a gift only God can give you. But what we're seeing here is just spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Get to know him better. Uh, Read the Gospels again and again. Ask God to show you Jesus in a new and richer way so that people around you would take notes that you too are someone who has been with Jesus. So, it's a gift from God. It comes from being with Jesus. There's another aspect to their boldness here. It's a boldness that is kind of fueled by having a right perspective on the world. What I've called in the outline somewhat cryptically, gospel glasses. Having gospel glasses. Now, I, this is really important. Um, you see what's, what's going on for these guys. From a human perspective, everything about their situation should have filled them with fear. Everything about what happened to them. It should have filled them with fear. They should have sort of caved in, basically. But God opened their eyes to see actually the truth about their situation. They they looked at what was happening through gospel glasses. So instead of pleasing the powerful ones, they could see that next to God, the great of the earth are nothing. Uh, So when they're commanded by them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, they say in verse 19, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we've seen and heard. But I think where, you, where we really see this gospel glasses, this right perspective, is in the prayer that they pray, this beautiful prayer. Um, so they, they get released somewhat begrudgingly um, and they go back to the other believers and they meet with them and they fill them in on what's happened and then the, ne- the very next thing they do is lift their voices together in prayer. They are, uh, uh, But it's interesting in this prayer, isn't it? Before they ask God to do anything, they set their vision right. 
I think prayer often does that for us, right? It helps you to see things properly. It's sort of it's like taking off your gospel glasses and polishing them up a little bit so you can see more clearly. You, do you see how they start their prayer? By lifting their hearts and their minds to, to God and who he is and what he's done. Verse 24, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And right there you think, ah, oh, how comforting for these believers, right? A small group gathered together. How comforting, how awesome is the sovereign Lord, the absolute ruler of the universe. How little we need to be afraid of the powerful in this age if we know him. Uh, but God isn't just the creator of all things. He's the redeemer and ruler. Uh, and and what the, see what they do next? The believers go to this psalm, Psalm 2, um, and they quote from it. And there's this pattern in that psalm that it's actually a pattern that plays out all through the whole Bible of humans in our pride rising up against God. And so these believers remind themselves in verse 25. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So that psalm, Psalm 2, it's, it's a vision of God's anointed son and king. Um, there's all these rulers all over the earth kind of conspiring together against him, but the psalm goes on to say, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. How ridiculous to line yourself up against the sovereign Lord of all things who has installed his king in Zion. So the psalm calls these people to kiss the son, to submit to him, to, uh, or their, their way will lead to destruction. And it says, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So that's that psalm, Psalm 2. The great King David wrote it and it was being sung throughout Israel's history. It kept being sung even when they were in exile and had no king, when everything looked hopeless. But what these believers gathered together now saw was that in Jesus, that Psalm 2 is fulfilled incredibly. The rulers of the earth, not only the nations, but including the rulers of Israel too, rose up against him. They rejected that stone that has now become the cornerstone. They rose up against him. They did their worst to him. But God had his way anyway. In fact, doing their worst, crucifying the Lord of glory, only served to bring about God's good and sovereign plan. Do you see that, what, it, what it's saying there? Like they did their worst to him, but it actually only served to bring about God's plan. Verse 27, uh, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed and get this, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. We saw this in Acts 2, right? This, this mystery, but this truth of human responsibility and God's sovereignty. 
But do you see what the Christians, are, the, the, these, these people gathered are doing here? They're polishing up their gospel glasses, right? They're, they're seeing reality clearly, seeing past their immediate circumstances and seeing God in his grace and his glory. So in a way, I think what this is saying to us is gospel boldness that's sort of being on view here really is nothing other than just seeing clearly and living in line with that reality. The problem is, we don't see clearly. Not on our own. Our vision is so marred by so many things, so distracted, we don't see clearly. And that's why these believers gathered. They've, they've set their vision right and then they ask God. And what do they ask him for? Isn't it interesting that they don't ask God for... I mean, I, I think I would probably be praying, God, please soften the hearts of the, the rulers, maybe bring about a change in this situation, bring an end to this opposition. They don't ask for that. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Actually, come on, just pause there. I think that's also a really, just a really lovely line that... Um, these people have prayed. They, they just sort of hand this over to God and they say, consider their threats. They, they don't tell God what to do about it. They're acknowledging this difficulty and they're leaving it in the hands of the sovereign Lord, trusting that he will do what is right. Consider their threats and then enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, not just boldness, with great boldness. And as you keep reading through Acts, you realise they're going to need it. <laughs> they're going to need it. Um, things get hotter and hotter for this new gathering of Jesus' people. And in a way, they, they actually get hotter because of the boldness of the people. So it's kind of a, you know, like a, build, a thing that builds on itself. You pray for more boldness, you'll get more opposition. and So you need even greater boldness. And then they ask for more of the miracles that accompanied the apostles' witness in those early days. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then there's this like direct answer to that prayer in verse 31. The place they met was shaken. Sometimes we've got some strong winds here that sort of rattle this place. But this is much more than that. The place was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did that look like? They spoke the word of God boldly. What do we make of all this, friends? Well, I think the first thing is to recognise that this pattern of Psalm 2, uh, the pattern of Acts 4, uh, is a pattern that continues. That until Jesus returns and all people confess him as Lord, the nations will rage the kings of the earth will rise up. And that's just helpful because it helps us to realise, to, to not be surprised. To not be surprised if that is happening today, if that happens to you. In a way, you know, being seen as the bad guys, it's actually nothing new for Jesus' people. We've been in this sort of short blip in history uh, for the last generation or two. But... Maybe we're kind of returning to business as usual in the bigger scheme of things. 
But we don't need to be afraid. Um, because the rules of the earth, well, they plot in vain. Uh, as the psalm says, the one enthroned on high laughs at them. Uh, he has installed his king, the risen and ascended Jesus, who reigns over his kingdom and who one day will be seen by everyone. So don't be surprised, but pray. Pray. Um, ask God to, in the, author, in the words of one author, we've promoted this book before, a guy called Stephen McAlpine, um, ask God to make you the best bad guy you can be. Um, now we've got to make sure we're not actually being the bad guys in God's sight, and sometimes Christians have been, and we need to honestly acknowledge and repent of that. But rather, as the, that book I mentioned, um, McAlpine puts it, uh, we can refuse to be surprised, confused, despairing and mad, but by God's grace we can even find a way to be calm, clear-sighted, confident and even joyful in it. So friends, thousands more were added to their number that day, despite the opposition they received. And the risen Jesus is still building his church. Nothing can stand against it. So you, you can have that kind of quiet confidence that as you spend time with Jesus, as you keep polishing up your gospel glasses so you can see the world clearly, as you come to him in humble prayer, that his spirit will fill you so that you too might be able to speak his word boldly to a world that desperately needs it. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our gracious God, so often our vision is blurred and marred and we don't see things clearly so we pray that you might please fill us again with your spirit so that we might see the truth of who you are and who we are and what you've done in Jesus and fill us we pray with this kind of great boldness not a brashness or abrasiveness but a humble joyful gospel soaked boldness uh, to bear witness to our wonderful Lord Jesus and all he has done. Give us wisdom to know how to do that moment by moment. Uh, but we pray, our Father, you'll keep us, keep us from cowardice and give us your boldness, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.